The scripture reading for this afternoon is taken in connection with the third commandment, specifically with regards to swearing an oath, as we find that discussed in Lord's Day 37. And so we will be reading together from Ecclesiastes 5, the verses 1 to 7. Ecclesiastes 5, the verses 1 to 7. And you'll be able to find that in page, on page 600, 767 of your pew Bible. Page 767. Walk prudently when you go to the house of God and draw near to hear rather than to give the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they do evil. Do not be rash with your mouth, and let not your heart utter anything hastily before God, for God is in heaven and you are on earth, therefore let your words be few. For a dream comes through much activity, and a fool's voice is known by his many words. When you make a vow to God, do not delay to pay it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you have owed, what you have vowed. Better not to vow than to vow and not pay. Do not let your mouth cause your flesh to sin, nor say before the messenger of God that it was an error. Why should God be angry at your excuse and destroy the work of your hands? For in the multitude of dreams and many words, there is also vanity. But fear God. So far, the Word of God. Let's now also read together from God's words, the the summary of God's Word, as we find it in the words of the Heidelberg Catechism in Lord's Day 37. And you'll be able to find that on page 554 of your book of praise. But may we swear an oath by the name of God in a godly manner? Yes, when the government demands it of its subjects or when necessity requires it in order to maintain and promote fidelity and truth to God's glory and for our neighbor's good. Such oath-taking is based on God's word and was therefore rightly used by saints in the Old and the New Testament. May we also swear by saints or other creatures? No, a lawful oath is a calling upon God, who alone knows the heart, to bear witness to the truth and to punish me if I swear falsely. No creature is worthy of such honor so far. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, today you had the privilege of witnessing the baptism of Matteo Hendrik Antima. And what a privilege this was. God has entrusted this child into the care of Jan and Rosalie, and by virtue of the the covenant that he has with them, by virtue of that covenant, God has laid his claim on this covenant child as well. God says Matteo is his, not because they have made a promise to God, 
but because God has made a promise to them and to their children that He's established a special relationship with them. In response to God's covenant claim on us and on our children, we as parents make promises to God that we will teach our children His ways, that we will raise them to see that He has put a claim on their lives, and we will teach them to love Him and to honor Him. These are the promises that Jan and Rosalie made today, and these are the promises that all parents of covenant children are called to make. The promises that are made today also remind us of other promises and vows that we make in life. In the presence of God, husbands and wives make promises about their marriage. Being sworn into public office, officials make vows to carry out their task, God helping them. And on occasion, people personally and quietly make vows before God as well. As Christians, when we make promises, People and people look at us, they won't just see us as people making promises. They see us as Christians who make promises. And this is important to keep in mind as we reflect on the promises that we make. Our promises reflect the name and the character of God. It's something that we should think about, especially as we have a younger generation looking at us, copying us, whether they are our children or not learning not just from the words that we speak, but from the actions that we do and how consistently we live our lives with regards to what we teach. So we have the opportunity to ask ourselves today, how do our vows and promises reflect on the name of God? We'll look at this under our theme today, making or breaking vows living as reflections of God's faithfulness. And we'll see, first of all, how this pertains to the little things. Secondly, the seriousness of a vow. And third, the appropriate vow. Boys and girls, have you ever made a promise and then suddenly realized it wasn't a good idea? Or maybe you made a promise and it was actually a joke. You said you would do something and then someone said, promise, and you said, yeah, sure. And then you say, I was... I was joking. It was just a little thing. You're so gullible. It's hilarious. You might think it's funny to take advantage of someone like that, especially if it's a really gullible person. But what does the Bible say about that? God says in Proverbs 26, the verses 18 and 19, like a madman shooting firebrands or deadly arrows is a man who deceives his neighbor and says, I was only joking. A crazy person doesn't realize that he's hurting people. It doesn't matter to him. He's just enjoying randomly firing flaming arrows all around him, and he might not mean to hit anybody and cause them real injury, but he does. And the injury can be permanent, deadly even. When you make promises about little things and then you break them as a joke, then you become like this kind of person. You might not mean to hurt someone, but it can still hurt. In some cases, the pain can be even worse because you break trust with them. And maybe you hurt or break a relationship with them for the rest of your life. 
In Jesus' day, there were people like this. They would make promises, but they thought they were just little things, and they didn't really mean to keep them. Jesus said this is hypocrisy in Matthew 23, verse 16. Woe to you blind guides who say, whoever swears by the temple, it's nothing. But whoever swears by the gold that's on the temple, he is obliged to perform it. He has to do it. Fools and blind. For which is greater, the gold or the temple itself that sanctifies the gold? These people were putting levels on their promises. They were saying that little promises based on unimportant things were promises that could be broken. But others were promises that were more important, and they were promises that you had to keep. Now, imagine that you were a non-Jew. Imagine that you were a Gentile, and you were trying to do business with people like this. You didn't know all of the rules around this, and you don't know that there's a promise that they're allowed to break and that there's a promise that they're not allowed to break. And so when they swear to you on this, about this transaction, they swear to you by the temple or by the gold of the temple, to you, you might not understand the difference. Well, Christ goes on. He says, you Pharisees also say, Whoever swears by the altar, it's nothing. But whoever swears by the gift that is on it, he's obliged to perform it. How are you as a Gentile supposed to keep track of all of this? You would never know if someone is making a binding promise to you or if they're leaving themselves a loophole in which they can get out. This is an abuse of a vow. Now, it can be easy to be critical of them, looking at them from our perspective. You can think, well, Jesus is right. You know, what's, what's more important, the temple itself or the gold that, the gold that is uh, sanctified by the temple? You'd clearly say the temple itself is more important. It's silly to make all these vows by these different things. But before we start to condemn them wholesale, let's take a step back and examine ourselves today as well. Do we ourselves also try to put promises on different levels? Do we try to find loopholes in our promises and our commitments? As we're raising our children, beginning in the home, looking at them, what do we say? Sorry, Johnny. I know I promised, but Daddy was just too busy to come to your hockey game. Sorry, Susie, I gave you my word to come to your music recital, but there's just so much going on. I was just too busy. In that kind of a situation, you're teaching your children that if something more important comes along, it's okay to break your promises to them because they are less important than what you have going on. Now, these things might not happen in our homes, but it does give us the example and the opportunity to reflect what is the atmosphere that we create in our homes? What do we do when we look at these so-called little things, even before we reach the point of vows? 
Do we, as our catechism describes it, try to maintain and promote fidelity and truth in our homes? Are we being intentional about encouraging truthful behavior, a truthful lifestyle? Even before the point of vows, do we reflect on the impact that these little things have on our children with our view of the truth? Or perhaps not even our children, maybe we don't have children. Do we reflect on the impact that our approach to the truth has on those who look up to us? Our peers, our students, our friends. Are little things that we speak about, they're reflections of the heart. And where the heart goes in a little way, it makes it easier for the heart to move in a larger direction. And this is what Jesus was concerned about. He was concerned about the heart. It's this concern that leads to what the author of the book of Ecclesiastes speaks about as well, the question of the heart. Little compromises have ripple effects that make it easier to compromise on big things. Ecclesiastes 5, verse 5 to 6, he says, Better not to vow than to vow and not pay. Do not let your mouth cause your flesh to sin, nor say before the messenger of God, that's the priest who would come and who would uh, come looking for the payment of the vow, not to say before the messenger of God that it was an error. I made a mistake. When you vow by things other than God, like the temple or its gold, and you break it, Jesus Christ was saying, that's still important. Or when little promises are made and broken, these are still important. Because these little things reflect on who our God is. And that leads us to our second point, the seriousness of a vow. When we make a promise or we take a further step and we make vows as Christians, we need to recognize that our response to these doesn't just reflect on us. Although it does reflect on our own trustworthiness as ambassadors of Christ, there is more that we need to keep in mind. When it came to the vow-dodging culture that had risen up in Jesus' day, he said, that's wrong. Why? Well, verse 20 of, the, of uh, that passage, he who swears by the altar swears by it and all things on it. He who swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. We see a progression there. And then, he who swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits on it. When we swear by something, it does progress all the way up to reflect on God. You see, God is a God of truth. When you make a vow or a promise, you do so as an image bearer of Christ. You reflect God's truthfulness. When twisting the truth or fudging on a promise you and I as Christians, that you and I as Christians make, we reflect poorly on the character of God. 
You may not think you're dragging God into it, but regardless of which, Jesus says, you do swear by the throne of God and by him who sits on it. This is why our Heidelberg Catechism goes on to point out that it's important not to swear by anything other than God because a lawful oath is calling upon God who alone knows the heart. He bears witness to the truth and punishes us if we swear falsely. No other creature is worthy of such honor. You and I are Christians. We bear the name of Christ. So when we make a promise, regardless of the fact that we may not bring the name of God into it, we're bringing the reputation of God into the mix. And so this should be reason for us to be cautious about the promises that we make. Not to be the fool of Ecclesiastes 5 verse 3, whose voice is known by his many words. That's the picture of the man who will make promises at the drop of a hat, left, right, and center. He makes so many that he can't even keep track of them. Not to be people who are known for that. But it's not all negative either. On the flip side, we are taught that we also have the opportunity to live in a positive way for our God. Our Lord's Day says, again, that they give us opportunity to maintain and promote fidelity and truth to God's glory and for our neighbor's good. When our children know that their earthly father keeps his word to them, they get an image of their heavenly father's faithfulness to them as well. When the world sees us keeping faithfully to our contracts at the job site, faithfully to our promises to them from day to day, faithfully to the vows we make entering into public office or elsewhere, then they see a reflection of the faithfulness of the God who stands behind those promises. They know that we are Christians who work as if we're working for the Lord. But even more than that, just as with all the commands of God, we are obeying this command out of love for God and we're obeying it out of love for our neighbor. We're encouraging good in society as a whole, promoting faithfulness and truth as good things, things which ultimately come from God. People are able to look up to the example of those who are faithful in this way. And even if they are not Christians, they can be impressed by the desire to follow in these same footsteps. And society as a whole is able to benefit. These are things which are ultimately gifts from God in maintaining and promoting the truth. And this brings us to our third, uh, our third point, the appropriate vow. Now, at the end of the day, there should be no practical difference between a yes or a no, between a promise or a vow for Christians. There should be no practice between just saying yes and no or between a promise or a vow. People should be able to take you at your word. We all should strive to be of such impeccable character that when we say yes or no, people will know that we mean it as reflections 
of the God whom we follow and whom we serve. But that being said, there is a time for appropriate vows. When he spoke against vows, Jesus was frustrated with a culture that created loophole vows and declared that in such a case, your yes doesn't have to be yes. Jesus says your yes should be yes and your no should be no. Your word should be your bond. Vows should not be made to impress other people with the seriousness of your intentions. But even so, he wasn't ruling out vows across the board. We can see this because in specific situations, the New Testament church still understood and recognized that Jesus Christ left room for appropriate vows. Take Acts 18, verse 18 and following, for example. There we find the Apostle Paul in Corinth. We read, So Paul still remained a good while there. Then he took leave of the brethren and sailed for Syria, and Priscilla and Aquila went with him. He had his hair cut off at Cancria, for he had taken a vow. We don't know what he vowed, but we do know that he made a vow. Now, Paul, of course, was not one who made promises easily and lightly. We can see that from Acts 18, verse 20 and 21, when they asked him to stay longer with them, the group that had hosted him at that point in time. He did not consent, but he took leave of them, saying, I must by all means keep this coming feast in Jerusalem, but I will return to you, God willing. And he sailed from Ephesus. Paul would not vow in that kind of a situation, but he did say that he would return if he could, God willing, God permitting. And so we can see that vows were not something that were made hastily in the New Testament era. Again, in Acts 21, verse 23, we read of four men who have taken a vow, and the Apostle Paul is instructed to be purified with them, and he pays their expenses. This is the same apostle who rebuked Peter to his face for wrongdoing, but he doesn't rebuke these people for doing wrong. Instead, he helps them in carrying out their vows. There is room for vows, for godly vows. When we make vows for public office, when we make vows for marriage, these are good vows to make. But regardless of what the vow is made for, let's take such vows seriously. Let's make them in the same vein as the preacher from Ecclesiastes 5, not in rashness, not for the benefit of just looking pious, just looking personally impressive to those around, but rather let our words be few and let our vows be made for the glory of God and for our neighbor's good. Let's use this opportunity to reflect God's goodness, God's faithfulness to the world around. In our different vows, let's use these opportunities to promote God's glory. And where we fall short, where we fail, let's confess to that and turn to God in repentance and faith. Looking to Jesus, our faithful Savior, who has perfectly fulfilled the promises of God. In him, we find our righteousness because he was 
our Lord. He is our Lord who holds fast, who holds firmly to the truth. In Him, we are washed clean. In Him, we receive a fresh start. Because of Him, we have the opportunity to start over, not putting ourselves in a situation in which we'll repeat those decisions, but instead putting to death those sinful parts of our lives by God's grace and remembering that there is forgiveness and grace for our broken promises and our broken vows. Yes, the effects might be with us for life, The effects of the brokenness that follows our sin may hang around for the remainder of our days. And we do need to deal with that, with hearts that are truly humble, hearts that are truly repentant. But we always need to remember that even these broken promises were carried by Jesus Christ on the cross. Even these broken promises are washed clean by blood, and in Christ we are raised spiritually again to a new life. So as we rebuild our lives after the effects of these promises have hit us, let's strive to begin new in Christ, in the life that he's bought for us. Having emptied our lives of all that took away from God's glory, in confession and repentance, by God's grace, we can begin again. And we are once again given the freedom to be image bearers of Christ, purified and holy image bearers of a God who is perfectly faithful and true to all his promises, living in love for God's glory and for our neighbor's good. Amen.